You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, good morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you join with me in uh, our text today, which is in Luke chapter 17. Uh, We are wrapping up our series uh, this weekend. We have had This will be six weeks in this series of At His Feet, and we've met some incredible people. First week, we met that Syrophoenician woman, the the, the Gentile woman who came and asked Jesus on behalf of her daughter that she would be healed, and we met great faith that week at the feet of Jesus. The next week, we we met the sinful woman, the the, the well-known woman of the town who barged into the meeting that Jesus was in and began to, with her tears, wet Jesus' feet and we learned and saw a great example of what it looks like to be at the feet of Jesus and broken. And then we learned what it looked like to be at the feet of Jesus and dependent. And it was when we met Jairus and his daughter and the woman who had been sick for 12 years and the amazing works that the Lord did in that amazing story. And then we met Mary and Martha. We went to Martha's house and, and saw Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from Jesus and feeling content and satisfied in Jesus and and then from there, we, last week, we met the man who was filled with a legion of demons and delivered from the legion of demons, then sitting peace-filled at the feet of Jesus. And this weekend, we are going to meet 10 lepers. And this weekend is all about thanksgiving. We're going at the feet of Jesus with thanksgiving. I want to ask you this morning as we begin, are you, are you, are you thankful? Are you really thankful? Are you thankful this morning? Well, if you are... If you are, then you're the few, because this world is filled with the epidemic of thanklessness. Thanklessness is everywhere. You meet it in the children who who say, I want more, I want more. You meet it in the uh, teenager that what they have isn't good enough. You meet it in the husband or the wife or the adult who takes and takes and takes and takes. You meet it with the grumpy senior who doesn't see any good anywhere. Thanklessness is found everywhere. It appears in our dealings at work. It appears at our home. It appears in our health as we're not thankful for where we are. Thanklessness appears with our possessions and the things that we have and the things that we don't have. Thanklessness appears in our relationships with what they're like and what they're not like, with who's with us and who's not with us. Thanklessness appears in the clothes that we own, in the cars that we drive, in the buses that we wait for. If you would like a good display of what thanklessness looks like, all you need to go at any time of the week is stand in the line at a Tim Hortons or go to the parking lot at Costco. (laughs) You'll see what it looks like. Thanklessness is everywhere. This world is filled with grouchy, grumpy people. Thanklessness says this, nothing is good enough. Well, God's word has a lot to say about the opposite of that, about thanksgiving, about the requirement of thanksgiving. Here's a few verses. Psalm 50, 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. How do I glorify God? One of the ways, by thanking him. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. How about the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances, not just the good, but this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then how about Philippians? We studied this this year. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
let your request be made known to God. Thanksgiving is a requirement. What does this mean? Listen, it is an inescapable reality that God wants us to be thankful. You can't get around that. And what we're going to find today is that real faith produces real thanksgiving in our lives. For the follower of Christ, for the follower of Christ, this should be the reality. It should be the reality that there is a great and a growing sense of thankfulness as we mature in Christ. So, so I'll ask you this. Do you see, rather than thankfulness, more of a thanklessness? More like I'm in a swampy place of thanklessness. Well, if that's what you're at this morning, that's a problem. That's a problem. Listen, no one wants to be immature, and no one really, really likes being called immature. But I will tell you today that if that swamp is in your life of grumpiness, of thanklessness, if that swamp is in your life, either one of two things is true about you. Either you are not saved or you are very immature in Christ, and you need to grow up. Where you are writing the story, where you're always the victim, you are always the last person, you are always the one at the the crosshairs, where life is never good enough, you never have enough, where there is a constant stream of unending, swampy grumpiness in your life. Listen, listen. Real faith produces real and growing thankfulness in our lives. Listen, nothing is worse than a child who takes and takes and takes. And there is nothing worse than the, than the self-proclaimed follower of Jesus Christ who is thankless, who just takes and 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 takes. How, how would, let's do a survey. If you, if you were to ask people, you got a box, a sheet of paper, Am I thankful? Am I not thankful? And you folded it up and you passed it in church, maybe to your friend, and they were to mark it off. What would it say? Let's go, what about to your, your spouse? They know you better. What would, what would it say? Am I thankful mostly or am I grumpy most? What about right now, while you're trapped in this room, we surveyed your kids. <laughs> and they gave you a note after class. You're grumpy. (laughs) What do they say? What do you see in your life? Well, here's great grace for us today. This book that you have in front of us, this book speaks volumes. It has the answer for the grumpy, ungrateful heart that says, I want more. It's never good enough. I'm always the victim. This book has everything we need. God's word has every help that we need. How great is that today for us today? So listen, how do you find great Thanksgiving in your life? How do you find great Thanksgiving in your life? Let's dive into God's word together. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. That he is Jesus. Let me pause for two seconds and set this up. Uh, What we've got here is is a description that Jesus is walking between Samaria and he's walking between Galilee. Luke is telling us he's walking into a transitional place. He's between two worlds. Do you know the difference really quickly between Samaria and and Galilee? Do you know the difference between those? The Samaritans Samaritans were, were Jews who were removed from 
the, their, their land by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians conquered them and displaced them. They would then intermarry with the Assyrians. And then when they were allowed to come back after Babylon had fallen and Persia let them come back, they came back. So they were mingled together with, 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 with Jewish blood. It, it wasn't a pure, refined race, or so the Jews thought. That's, that's, the Samaritans were like that. They, they couldn't prove what, what family they came from. They couldn't prove what tribe they came from. In fact, they worshipped at a different location. They didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshipped at a place called Mount Gerizim. And at the base of Mount Gerizim was a place called Shechem. And Shechem was where they set up the tabernacle when they first entered into the promised land. So the Samaritans are, are different. Now the Galileans, these are these are these are these are this is this is the, the, the people that, that were transplanted with Babylon. So after Assyria, they were they, they knew who they were. They married amongst each other, and then when they brought back from the land, they knew who they were. They could point to the tribe that they were from, and they worshipped in Jerusalem, where the temple was from. So there's a big difference between these two. And this is largely the reason why the Jews would look down upon the Samaritans. You can't prove what tribe you're from. You worship in the wrong place. You have the wrong priests. You have the wrong temple. This is the land that Jesus, our hero, is walking through. This borderline, as it were. Let me read verse 12. As he entered... A village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now, the, the wording, the Greek behind that tells us that they're leper men, specifically men, who stood at a distance, verse 13, and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, here comes our desperate people. We've met the hero. Here comes the desperate people. 10 men infected with leprosy. Now, culturally, leprosy was a horrible disease to get. The disease is manifested in, in changes of the skin and specifically the loss of the mucous membranes around them and the nerve endings on your fingers. If you had leprosy, you lost the, sense of, uh, you lost the, 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 the sensations in your extremities. And so what would then happen is you would, you would pick up things that were too sharp. You would pick up things that were too hot or too cold, and they would hurt you, and then your skin would be broken, and, and, and it would start to get scarred. And, and this wasn't just in your fingers. This was also in your face. If you put too hot water upon your face, this would be also in your, in, your, in, your, in your toes and all over your body. The loss of sensation comes through. Leprosy anesthetizes the body so that the limbs and all feeling is lost. And then the potential for serious injury becomes very large. Leprosy was and is relatively contagious. You need to spend a lot of time around people in order to get leprosy. They could cough on you, contact... And, and I don't know if you knew this, the, the effective cure for leprosy was found in 1980-something. 1980 years almost after this story. So without that cure back then, this is not just the Israelites, all societies, not just the Israelites, cast them out. So if you had this, you were to be separated from everyone else. You were to be separated from your family, separated from your tribe, separated from your village. And, and what's more, you had to warn people that you were coming so that you wouldn't convey your uncleanliness to them. The Bible talks about, Leviticus, uh, talks about leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13. It describes the condition and what you need to do with a leprous person. The leprous person who has the disease, disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip. Why upper lip? Well, to prevent the cough, to prevent me breathing upon you. And he must cry out, unclean, unclean. 
He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. As long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The bigger problem I think you're getting for those with leprosy is not just the disease. It's the social ostracism that you get. You get kicked away. A person with leprosy is banished from the city, the society, and the family. So there's our desperate people, 10 of them, shouting out to Jesus from a distance, infected with leprosy, society's outcasts. They're, they're, they're standing at a distance in this unnamed village, and they're, they're, they're crying out for mercy, and the mercy that they want is the mercy to heal them from this horrible, socially destroying disease. Now, we all know what's going to happen, don't we? You've read your Bible enough. You know that these guys are going to get healed. Just like every other story in this series, Jesus is going to do something, Jesus is going to say something, and these guys are going to get healed for sure. So what's he going to do? You can picture the disciples, can't you? I do. There's Peter there going, wow. Two shekels says he walks over there. And he heals them. He touches them and heals them. Two shekels. You watch. And you picture James going, no, no. I think he's going to say it from a distance. You watch. He's going to say it. He's not going to touch. He's going to say it. And then maybe Andrew's like, no, no. He's going with the mud this time. He's going to do something with mud. He's going to pick up mud and throw it at them or do something. Thomas, what do you think is going to happen? Thomas, I don't think he's going to heal him. Thomas, why are you always like that? Why, why are you always so negative, Thomas? What's he going to do? What does he do? Verse 14. When he, this is Jesus, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. From the distance, he calls to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Huh? What's this? Kiss, kiss, say. <laughs> listen, listen. What's happening here? Just as there is commands in Leviticus 13, to separate lepers for the sake of the community. There are also commands in the Old Testament, specifically in the next chapter, Leviticus 14, as to how to bring back healed lepers into the community. And what were healed lepers supposed to do? They were supposed to go, and they were supposed to show themselves to the priests. See, I'm clean. See, I'm healed. And then they would be examined by the priests. This is healed lepers, we're supposed to go to the priests, and then healed lepers were supposed to show themselves to the priests, and then the, the, the priest would examine healed lepers for eight days, and if at eight days, clean bill of health, guess what? Healed lepers get brought back into the society. Welcome back, reunited with family. What's happening here? Verse 14, Jesus is calling them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And look how the text goes on. And as they went, they were cleansed, as, like in going, they were healed. While obeying Jesus, they were healed. Whoa. Now that's something new. Can you picture it? Can you picture the scene? These men are waking up in the morning, and they hear that Jesus is coming to town. And they're waiting on the edge of town because they can't come into town because they can't walk around town. They have to be on the outskirts. They're socially outcast. So they're watching, watching, watching. I think that's him. I think that's him. That's him. That's him. Let's call out. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. 
Come on, guys, louder. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, Rusty, wake up. Come on, we need your voice. Shout it out. Jesus, master, have... He's turning. He sees us. And then the voice from across the gap. Go and show yourselves to the priests. He's, that's, what, that's what heel lepers are supposed to do. Okay, guys. Nothing else has worked. Let's, let's just do it. This is Jesus talking. Let's do it. So the ten of them go. They start walking. You can picture the scene, can't you? And as they were going, they were cleansed. You picture them. The, the sensation begins to come back in the fingers that they couldn't feel. The face. They, they, look, at my, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Look, look at your hands. Look at your, they're getting, look at your face. Well, you can't look at your face, but it, trust me, it's better. Look at my face. Is it better too? We're all getting better. This is amazing. I can't believe this. This is how one artist painted this picture. Look at these guys. Look, look, look. Even Rusty's excited. <laughs> look at this. Look at my hands. Look at my hands. We're getting better. This is amazing. And this brings us to the first point for today. How do you live with real thanksgiving in your life? Real thanksgiving. Well, here's the first way. you got to get your help from Jesus. Get your help from Jesus. Remember, real faith produces real thanksgiving in your life. You will not, listen, you will not be thankful to the Lord in the way that he wants you to. You will not give thanks to God in all circumstances if you don't ask for his help. That's right, what I'm saying here is prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand. In fact, I will say this. You show me someone who is grouchy, who is grumbling, who is a grump in, this, in the swamp of grumpiness, and I will open that life and show you that that is a person whose prayer life is weak. Likewise, I can show to someone who's in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, and they're, they're struggling, yes, but they're thankful, and I can, we can open up their life and see prayer as a vital part of their life. Prayer and thankfulness go hand in hand. And how are we supposed to ask? Well, we're supposed to ask expectantly. We're supposed to ask expectantly. Listen, if anybody had a right to a pity party, it's these 10 guys. Socially tossed to the curb, kicked aside, left to die slowly, ostracized from loved ones and family, and oh yeah, having leprosy. And then hearing that Jesus is coming to Hey, did you hear Jesus is coming to town? Did you hear Jesus? Let's go on the edge of town and ask him for help. That's what they do. But what if they didn't do that? They had a right to be grumpy. They could have sat on the edge of town. Oh, nothing's ever worked. Why would we ever do this? I don't want to get up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. I don't want to do that. Nobody can help me. But what do they do? They go and ask. This is a story that's played out in, in houses with young kids all over the place. Perhaps you can relate. Kids are outside playing. They come inside. The child usually coming in order of age, the oldest child comes and says, Dad, can I have a freezy, please? Dad says, yes, let me get the scissors. There you go. Five minutes later, the, old, the, the next children come in. They see the oldest child with a freezy. And they go, <sighs> and they look at that, and, <sighs> and then they walk away embracing their victimhood and they go up to their bedroom, 
maybe even tears are flowing, and you go up and you say to them, what's, what's wrong? Was something happened outside? What's wrong? I didn't get a freezing. And I didn't get a freezing. And then what do you say to them? But you didn't even ask. If you'd asked, I would have given it to you. You just got to ask. You didn't even ask me. How much of our thanklessness is because we haven't even asked God for help? How many of us are struggling in situations of trials and difficulties and pain and hurt, and we're not even asking God for help? And we're finding ourselves in a place of grouchiness and grumpiness, and nothing's ever going to change, and it's not good enough, and life won't ever work, and it's terrible, and thanklessness is there because we've never even asked God for help. God says to you, but you haven't even asked me. Just come and ask me. Listen, listen. The more that prayer is a reality in your life, the more guaranteed thanksgiving will result. That's the truth. The lepers ask. They go and they ask him. And look what happens when they ask. Check this out, believer in Christ. Let me show you, let me show you one word. Just one word of many, I think, that will bless you in our story today. Look what he says. It says, when he saw them. Saw. Jesus sees them. They're not ignored. They're not forgotten. They're not forsaken. They have been cast aside by men, yes. They've been forsaken by the community, yes. But that's not how Jesus, the son of the living God, will treat him. He sees them. And that exactly, that reality, loved ones, that Jesus sees you, that Jesus hears you, that he listens to your prayers, compels from us, doesn't it? Expectant prayers. Jesus sees me in this place of hardship. Jesus sees me in this place of difficulty. He's not forsaken me. I'm not cast down. I'm not forgotten. I'm not destroyed. He sees me. And if he sees me, then I can call to him. Listen, the difficulty in this life is not meant to press you to the ground. It's meant to press you to the God who can give answers for your life. But if, if you're not asking, you're not getting, and then guaranteed, you're not thankful. Asking, needing the Lord and his help is an essential ingredient in thankfulness. But notice, this conversation between you and the Lord also includes obedience. You gotta get your help from the Lord by asking him expectantly that he'll do something, but you also have to ask him with obedience in your heart. Just as prayer and thanksgiving go hand in hand, so do obedience and thanksgiving. They go hand in hand as well. Here's how the apostle James puts it in his letter. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You can't ask God for something and live in rampant disobedience to him. When you ask him for something and he tells you to do something, to respond in obedience to him in your life, you, and you decide not to do that, well, you can't expect to get what you're asking. And you certainly can't expect to find thankfulness in your life, the kind that God wants from you. Jesus told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and they were cleansed. And what happens exactly? Verse 14, as they went, they were cleansed. While obeying Jesus, they were healed. They got what they need from Jesus. Now, there's a lot more to our story, but let's just pause here halfway through and apply some stuff. Just 
application time. Okay, are you in that swamp of thanklessness right now? If, if you surveyed your life, if you surveyed your attitude, if you surveyed how you're responding to trials and difficulties, if you're looking at how you are at work, how you are at home, how you are at church, what's the general trend? Is it, is it, is it a swamp of thankfulness, thanklessness, of grouchy, grumpy? Or, or is it generally thankfulness? If it's the swamp, then what's going on in your life? Where are you going, question two, for help in your life? If it's not through prayer to Jesus, then where are you going? Well, I'll tell you where you're going, some options. Maybe you're going to yourself and saying, it's all about me and I can fix my problems and I can fix my... Maybe you're going to your friends and they can help. If I get more friends, if I get better friends around me, it'll make a life a whole lot better. Maybe you're pouring yourself into work and you're finding if I just work harder, if I just, get, just do better at work, it'll get better in this life. Or maybe you're pouring yourself into substances around you. Or maybe you're pouring yourself in living for vacations. I'm going to get my help if I just get that vacation. Or I'm going to live vicariously through my kids and find my help through them. Or I'm just going to get more money and maybe more money will help me in this life. Or I'm just going to take mental vacation after mental vacation and that will help me in this life. Or I'm just going to retreat into anxiety and fear and that will help me in life. Or maybe I'm just going to go ahead and full bore into pleasure in this life and I'll seek the things that make me happy in this life and that will help me in this life. I'm going to live in the past and dream about all the good days. Or I'm going to pour myself into sports. Or, or, or I'm going to run to Jesus who is the maker of all the Savior of all, and find help from him. Think about how absurd this is. I'm in a crisis. I'm in struggling right now. And the way I'm going to make myself feel better is watch a few more games on TV. Spend a few more bucks somewhere. Or rely on the one who made the heavens and the earth. Call out to him for help in trial and difficulty. Second question, where are you going for your help? Third question, what is Jesus calling you to be obedient in? What is the thing that Jesus has said to you over and over again? That needs to stop. That needs to change. No more of that. What words need to be repented of? What actions need to be repented of? What conversations need to be had? Who do you need to talk to even today? Who do you need to ask for forgiveness from even today? What behaviors need to stop now? Where is the Lord calling you to be obedient? Listen, if you're living in rampant disobedience, you're not going to find thankfulness in your life. You're going to find yourself miserable and grouchy and grumpy. We've got to go to him to get this help, though. We've got to ask expectantly, and we've got to ask obediently. Going to him and getting the help from him is the first step we need for thankfulness. When real faith does this, it produces real thankfulness in our lives. So I'll ask you, is this a reality in your life? Is this where you are, or are you in the swamp? Are you thankful, or are you in the swamp? For real thankfulness to rise in our story, we need to get our help from Jesus, but there's more to the story, because that's not enough. That's not enough to, to, to go and get our help from Jesus, to ask him expecting something, and to ask with obedience in our hearts, because that just looks like I do what I, he says, I get what I want. What we've done just then is we've turned God into a Coke machine. The Coke machine wants $2. I do what it says. The Coke machine gives me a Coke. I get what I want. I do what he says. I get what I want. By the way, that's essentially every other religion in the entire world. I say my prayers. 
I get what I want. My family is healthy. My crops come in. I bow and pray in a certain direction. I get to go to heaven. I polish my God and put him in the front of my store. He gives me prosperity. I do what he says. I get what I want. I do what he says. I get what I want. How many of us think that that's real thankfulness in our lives? I do what he says. I get what I want. What, what, if, what, if, what if your kids treated you like this? They came to you and said, okay, I did what you said. I cleaned the room. Did the work. Can I have my phone back? Can I go out now? And you would back up and say, wow, what a heart on this child. Look at the thankfulness pouring off of the money. Just watch. Ah. Oh. What about if you're at work? Is that how it works? I do what you say. I get what I want. Listen, all I know is I come to work on time. I punch in. I do the job you asked me to do. And then I punch out and get my paycheck. And your boss says to you, employee of the month parking spot for this guy right here. That's the kind of heart. Is that thankfulness? That's not thankfulness. That's not thankfulness. I do what he says. I get what I want. It's not enough. It's not enough just to ask Jesus. Even if you are asking him expectantly, even if you have obedience in your life, it's not enough to ask him like this. It's not enough. Real thankfulness, real thankfulness, the kind that God wants from us and the kind that God commands from us, as we've seen, that we need one more ingredient for it to be real thankfulness, for it to really work. And thankfully, we have one more person to meet in our story. Now, I showed you this picture earlier. This is the, I don't know if you counted, there's only nine guys here. The picture actually looks like this. And there's one guy in the story that's centered out. Let's zoom in on him. Something's happened to this guy that's very different than the other nine. Something's very different. And he's going to be the key to us to figuring out what kind of thankfulness God wants in our lives. He got his help from Jesus like the rest, but he's going to get a whole lot more. Let's meet him. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw, there's that word again, that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Now, this guy's different for a couple of reasons. Luke underscores the fact that this guy is a Samaritan. He's one of those false worshipers. He's one of those guys who can't really prove his bloodline. He's one of those guys that worships at the base of Mount Gerizim in a place called Shechem. He's different than the rest. Sure, he found community with the lepers. They had leprosy. We have leprosy. Let's work together on this. But now that he's healed... That's one of the ways he's different. He's a Samaritan. But the second way that he's different is that he's been given sight to see what's going on. He's seen who healed him. And he praises God, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, and he thanks him. And this takes us to the second point for us today. Real faith produces real thanksgiving. How do you live with real thanksgiving in your life? How do you get real thanksgiving in your life? Well, first, you need to get your help from Jesus. And secondly, this. It's so simple. You need to get Jesus. You need to get Jesus. So far, what we haven't done is we haven't talked about the idea behind the word thank. And what I'm going to do is just pause for a second and do a quick English grammar lesson, and I hope I don't lose you. Uh, the, word, the word thank is a verb, and thank is what grammar nerds call, I had to look this up, a transitive verb. 
Now, what is a transitive verb? A transitive verb requires something in order for it to make sense. So you can use the verb, but you can't use the verb alone. Let me give you a couple examples. This is what transitive verbs. These are action words that require an object to be acted upon. So bring is a transitive verb. Please bring Craig a glass of water. If I stood up and said, please bring, you all would be, what? Make is another one. Craig will make a cup of... Craig will make... What? Pay. Craig pays for the Coke. I guess if I'm sitting at, at, at dinner with you, I could say, Craig pays. But that's still weird. <laughs> Craig reads, still weird. Again, these are transitive verbs. What's a transitive verb? Here's another one right here. Last one. Thank. Thank. Craig, thank. Craig is thankful. For what? To who? Listen, when you're thankful, you give thanks to somebody about something. You can't be randomly thankful to nobody and nothing. Look at the other guys. Does Luke tell us that they were thankful? Nope. They were probably happy, maybe even laughing, but they're not thankful. Why are they not thankful? Because to be thankful requires somebody to give thanks to. I think so many of us live in our Christian life this way. You meet, in, meet somebody in church this morning, maybe even, they said it this morning. How are you doing, brother? I'm thankful. Thankful. What does that mean? Thankful to who? Thankful about what? Thankful to somebody. You need the two in order for it to work. How many of us are thankful, but we've ever, we haven't actually even thanked God about what we're thankful for, we think? Hey, how's your day today? It was a great, great day. I'm thankful. Thankful to who? Thankful to, to God? Maybe you should thank him for that. Thank you for the great day. Now look at the Samaritan. He's a little different. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Is that thankful? You bet it is. And who is he thankful to? Who's the object of his thanks in that verse? Who is it? Praises God. It says he praises God with a loud voice. That's a cool phrase. That word is, is uh, with a loud voice is phonase megalase in the Greek. If you switch around, you get megalase phonase. And if you do some funniness with it, you get megaphone. This guy megaphones his praise to God. He dials up the volume. He starts praising God. Praise God, praise God. I can't believe this. Look at what's happened. And then verse 16, and he falls on his feet at Jesus' feet. At, at, falls on his face at Jesus' feet and gives him thanks. I want you to see this. I want you to see this. This is big. Thanksgiving to God is only possible through the person of Jesus Christ. See how he praises God through Jesus Christ. I'll go one further. The praise of God is only possible, is only possible if you find Jesus Christ. You can't praise God unless you find Jesus Christ. To be thankful requires somebody to be thankful for. If you want to live with real thanksgiving in your life, you need to get Jesus in your life. Jesus must be at the center. Jesus must be at the center because at the center of all real thanksgiving is Jesus this man sees. This man understands this. He's been healed. He looks across. He understands. That's the guy who did it. That's the guy who did it. And he runs, this man, and he falls at his feet. 
That's real thanksgiving. And that's a very different response than the other nine. Jesus observes this also. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? What about the others? Where are they? Just a former leper, an outsider if there ever was one, a foreigner if there ever was one. And yet here he is at the feet of Jesus. And then look at these beautiful words in verse 19. And he said to him, the former leper, still a foreigner, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that phrase, made you well, is different than any other word we've seen so far in the story. We've seen cleansed, we've seen healed, but this is made you well. Cleansed and healed are not the same. The idea between cleansed and healed means healed from leprosy, made clean to be able to go back and worship in the community of faith, but made you well is a very different word. We've seen this before in Luke. Remember the woman who was weeping at the feet of Jesus? Made you well is the same word there. It means this. You've been saved, son. That faith right there, you've been saved. Your faith has saved you. Now, wait a second here. Have you ever noticed this? Just a second. Just like the text. What was the command that Jesus gave back in verse 14? Go and show yourselves to the priest. Actually, there's two things. He said, go and show Two commands given by Jesus to the priests. Well, the man didn't do that, did he? The Samaritan man, he didn't, he didn't do that. So wait a second. So what, he's being disobedient and he's, he's getting blessed as a result of that? Like, like, he didn't do what Jesus asked him to do, did he? And, then, and, and so now he's getting... But, but I thought obedience was a part of thankfulness. And so why, if obedience isn't... No, we, we've just learned that that's not true. For real thankfulness to rise in my life, there needs to be authentic obedience to Jesus Christ. My faith follows obedience. So that can't be the case. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, remember that this man, Luke tells us, is a Samaritan, and his buddies weren't. The Samaritans worshipped at Shechem, and his buddies would have worshipped in Jerusalem. So when Jesus is telling him and these group. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Nine of them go, Jerusalem. And the one of them goes, Shechem? Or Jerusalem? Oh. And then he gets it. He understands something. Go and show yourself to the priests. How amazing is God's word? Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus is the ultimate temple. Jesus is the place where all forgiveness is found. Jesus is the place of full healing and full restoration. Jesus is the one who would sacrifice himself in just a couple chapters upon a cross for the sake of this man and for the sake of you and for the sake of I, that he would carry the weight of sin and shame and guilt and then death 
that you and I might have life. Jesus is the center of the story. Jesus is the center of all history. Jesus is the real priest, the one who makes intercession between God and man. Jesus is the real temple, the place of real worship and thankfulness. Real thankfulness begins to rise in this man as he begins to understand the nature of this man. He's gotten help from Jesus. And now he's found Jesus. So he turns the megaphone of praise up high in his life, praises him, runs to him, and falls at his feet. And you can just picture the private conversation between him and Jesus as Jesus leans down and says, you found me. You looked through all of life, and you saw me looking at you. You received the good from me, and you came to me to give thanks you received the healing, and you found the healer, and you found the greater gift of life in me. Now look at the, look at the contrast between these 10. There's a, there's a good contrast here. I want you to see this. See this? 10 come to Jesus, one come to Jesus. You, you can, it's a fun thing if you want to grab a pen and mark up your Bible. It's pretty neat to see this. Did you notice this? 10 stood at a distance, one falls at Jesus' feet. Ten cry for mercy. One praises God for getting the mercy. Jesus sends the ten men on their way, but he also sends the one, go home. Ten are cleansed. One is saved. And then this, ten get healed. And one gets Jesus. Now, that's what I'm talking about. But where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? The choice is ours. Am I going to live a life that says, I'm going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take? Am I going to stand at a distance? Or, or is real thankfulness, real thanksgiving going to rise in my life? And I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus and give him thanks for my life. Thanks for the gifts that he's given to my life. Thanks for the blessings upon my life. Thanks even for the trials in my life that draw me closer and closer to him. I think what's clear today as we look at God's word, I think what's clear today, and this is the warning for us, is that it is possible... It is possible to receive the common grace of the Lord Jesus in our lives by having health, by having a job, by having a home, by having food, by having the sun rise every morning. It's possible to get all of those things from Jesus. It's even possible to be healed from leprosy by Jesus and still not have Jesus. It's possible. Are you in the nine? Where are the nine? But today, maybe, maybe today, a change can be made in your life. Maybe today the Lord speaks to you and says, come, come find me. You look for me and you see me. I'm the one who reaches. I'm the one who calls across the gap to the outcast. I'm the one who heals. I'm the one who calls to the broken in their sin. Come, come to me. Come to me. Turn away from your life. Turn away from your sin and selfishness and shame. Come to me. Find life in me. Come and give real thanks. Come to the healer. Come find the greater gift. Come to me. Real faith producing real thanksgiving. Oh, Lord, for real thanksgiving in this place. Finding you. Finding you. Let's pray. God, we pray for 
the hearts in this room, all of the hearts in this room, uh, maybe some hearts who do not know you and are far from you. Uh, living with clear fruit in their life of grumpiness and thanklessness. And hearing of the opportunity to be healed by Jesus Christ today, God, I pray for grace. I pray that you would be moving in a great way, in the way that only you can do, drawing hearts closer and closer to you, that you would be high and lifted up before their eyes, glorified, God. Would you do what only you could do in this place? God, I pray for the hearts who do know you and who are finding themselves wandering away, finding themselves with, with streams of the old man in them of thanklessness. God, I pray that you would draw us to you and the sufficiency of you as well. That as we lean upon you in prayer, as we strive to walk by obedience, as your spirit gives grace, and as we flee to you, God, would you give grace, that real thankfulness would rise in our lives, God. Would you receive that from all of us as an offering of praise to you? Thank you, God, for the place I'm in right now. Thank you, God, for the good things I have. They've been given to me by you. Thank you, God, for the, for the home I have. Thank you, God, for the friends. Thank you, God, for the family I have. Thank you, God, for the food. Thank you, God, for this community. Thank you, God, for the peace in this country. Thank you, God. And then real maturity, embracing the other side. Thank you, God, for the trials in my life that draw me to you. Thank you, God, that, that it's not perfect at home, which makes me lean upon you more. Thank you, God, that it's not perfect with my spouse, so I cry to you more and find your grace sufficient for me. Thank you, God, that it's not perfect at work. It's not perfect at school. It's not perfect, and I'm struggling, God. Thank you, God, for the struggle because I can rely upon you and find your strength. Thank you, God, for the good, and thank you, God, for the bad. God, would you form in this room hearts filled with true thankfulness to you, with real faith on you, Lord. God, be glorified, I pray. Thank you. Thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.